Welcome back to another Yak Podcast. We are finishing our Things of This Earth series this week based on the book by Joe Rigney. Um, we are discussing loss this week and how to embrace our creatureliness. Hope you enjoy, and I hope you've enjoyed the series. I said a statement last week that set the stage for this week. It was brief and it was squished between two points, so I'm going to respond with it. Not respond, but I'm going to say it again. God will give you strength in all situations. God will give you strength in all situations. Good and bad. Remember that you are never promised comfort. You were promised trials. You were given a fallen world. And you were promised that God would strengthen you through it all. Those are the things you were promised. I also mentioned last week that the next, this lesson... The last two lessons are the culmination of everything leading up to this point. Last week we talked about how our theology of gifts affects the way we live as Christians. This week we will discuss, and this is your first fill in the blank, how our theology of gifts affects the way we lose them. Loss. Gain. Suffering, success, death. Guess which ones you're promised? Have you ever had something precious taken from you? Have you ever had someone precious taken from you? If something or someone immediately comes to mind, then I'm sure those emotions are close behind. Joe Regney states, the fact is the entire thesis of this book and our talk is massively undermined if we can't biblically and faithfully address the heartbreaking loss of good things. The Bible is a book of suffering from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20. Wives are lost. Husbands are lost. Children are lost. Wealth is lost, houses are lost, reputations are lost, health is lost, lives are lost. And this type of suffering and loss is promised to those who are following Jesus. See, the world we live in is a strange one. Injustice, pain, suffering, and loss have the potential to be found as we get into the seats of our cars, visit the doctors for a routine checkup, every time we step out onto a field or a mat, or at the bottom of your plate. Yet around those moments comes great gifts that the Lord lavishes upon us. While we may not be able to shepherd the wind, while we not, may not be able to shepherd the wind, we know the shepherd who can. It, in making that realization, we can recognize and embrace our creaturely limitations and replace our self-reliance and quest for total knowledge of the world with a deep and radical dependence on God. And when we have a radical dependence on God, when God is preeminent, when God is the center, we can enjoy the gifts that we were supposed to enjoy and the way they were supposed to be enjoyed. The real question that you next fill in the blank is how do we go about loving God with our gifts and with losing our gifts? How do we go about God? How do we go about loving God with our gifts and with losing our gifts? We know from an early lesson that a loss of a gift is a good way to judge whether it's an idol. 
We talked about that on the week on idolatry. We have constantly have to remind ourselves daily and at the end of the day that all we have is Christ. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. It is reminding ourselves that all we have of worth comes from God. Does that mean we are detached when our gifts are removed? Does that mean we should not feel pain? Absolutely not. I watched my wife's cousin lose their child to a terminal disease over the course of a year. Likewise, the author Joe Rigney watched a similar situation unfold. He wrote them a letter that really resonated with me. I would like to read it to you because I think it reflects well how we should respond to the loss of a gift. It's a long letter, um, but I think I couldn't cut any of it. It was just all prevalent to how we lose gifts, especially when they're people, especially when they're innocent. I t- this is a, I take it as a given that Christ is supreme for you and your wife. I know that he's your treasure and your life. I know that faith in him runs deep in your bones, that you, your love for him is at the core of who you are. And I can imagine that at times like this, your love for God and trust in his sovereignty produces questions like, if God is taking our son to himself, is it okay for me to want to keep our little one in my arms for as long as possible? Am I, resting God in some, am I resisting God in some way if my desire for my son is so real and so intense and so undeniable, and yet it is so clear that God is taking my baby from me? So I just wanted to affirm that, given the deep reality of your supreme and full love for God, your love for your dying son cannot be too intense. It is impossible for you to feel too deeply for him, for you to want to hold him too much, for you to long for his health and happiness with too much fervor. Let me say it again. You cannot love your son too much. This is because, as you've said to me over and over again, he is a gift to God. He is a gift to you. God has given him to you as a gift, and you are receiving him as a gift. Your son is a work of God, an expression of God's glory and grace and love, and one that is customized for you and your family. You can only love him wrongly if you love him in place of God. But if you receive him as a gift from God in all of his wonder and beauty and sweetness and fragility, then you cannot love him too much or prize him too highly. And you should feel no shred of guilt because you love him as you do and long for his health and desperately want to cling to him and know him and spend time with him for as long as you can. So I want to encourage you and your wife to plunge headlong into this gift. Savor every moment with that baby. Touch him, hold him, caress him. Let the love that you feel for him surge through you. Let it provoke you to tears and sadness and that gut-wrenching feeling that you would do absolutely anything to make your son whole. Let your love for your little boy take you beyond the pain and sorrow to the indestructible joy of the God who gives good gifts and is not threatened by them. It's as if God is saying to you, you don't know how intense my love is for you, how deep my affections are for you, so I'm going to show you. I'm going to stretch your heart to the breaking point. It will feel like you are dying. But if you go with me into that love, into the pain, into the sorrow, and into the longing and desire, then when all is said and done, you will know that as a father has compassion on his children, so does the Lord have compassion 
on you. So the next fill in the blank. And write this with that quote in mind. Our joy in our gifts makes our joy in our giver even greater. Our joy in our gifts makes our joy in our giver even greater. We are not to become stoic. We are not to become aloof. We are not to become robots. This should free us from the false guilt, the kind born from the misguided belief that the way to magnify the value of God is by pretending that his gifts are not really as enjoyable as we find them. So wail, weep, cry out to God in the midst of your suffering, and I promise he is not ignoring you. Thank him for the good gifts when they are yours and when he has taken them away for a time. In the midst of loss, how will you know that you're responding well? When you do lose something, how will you know you're responding well? And this is the next fill in the blank. True gratitude remains even when the gift is withheld. True gratitude remains even when the gift is withheld. An example of this comes from Paul's own trials, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He called on the Lord to relieve his pain. Health was his gift, and the Lord did not give it to him. And how did Paul respond in the following verse? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What gifts does God currently withhold from you? What gifts does God currently withhold from you? Clarity in a subject in school? The approval of a parent? The approval of those around you, the love of a significant other, your health, your limitations in sports, your limitations in the arts. What gifts are God withholding from you and how are you responding? And what about when your most precious precious gift is taken from you? What about when your most precious gift is taken from you? Your life. Fact is, as young people, you probably don't think about it regularly or might never have thought about it. Unless death has struck close to home, it probably is far from your thoughts. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I don't think most of you will face death soon. But some of you might, and it would be remiss of me if I didn't touch on it at all. And this is the next series of fill-in-the-blanks. It's a, You have the little line here. It's kind of a... I'm blanking on the term. It's an arrow. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just a little crocodile. Yeah. It's just leading to the next point. That's all it means. So it ties them all together. A life that puts God as preeminent will gladly receive his gifts. One, a life that puts God as preeminent will gladly receive his gifts. Two, in gladly receiving his gifts... They will not become idols. In gladly receiving his gifts, they will not become idols. 
Three, if they are not idols, then you can freely give away some of your gifts to others. When we talked about wealth and how to give in a wartime culture the last couple weeks. You can freely give away some of your gifts to others. Next, if you can freely give away gifts to others, then you can welcome the Lord taking one last gift. I will. And then lastly, when the Lord takes that one last gift, your life, God becomes preeminent and you gladly receive him. It's amazing how it all circles back around. A life that puts, I'm going to repeat it again, a life that puts God as preeminent will gladly receive his gifts. And gladly receiving his gifts, they will not become idols. If they are not idols, then you can freely give away some of your gifts to others. If you can freely give away some to others, then you can welcome the Lord taking one last gift. And when the Lord takes one last gift, God becomes preeminent and you gladly receive him. Hebrews 11, 14 through 16 says this, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Same chapter, eleven twenty four through 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt when he was looking to his reward. If you think the gifts, your gifts will begin to compare the gifts of heaven, either your view of gifts here is too big, or your view of God is too small, or maybe both. Again, if you think, your gifts will begin to compare to the gifts of heaven. Either your view of gifts are too big, or your view of God is too small, or maybe both. See how that syllogism, those things that all flowed together, discussed making God preeminent while we're here on earth. And then if we lived in the correct theology of how to interact with the world as Christians, then at the end of the day, when we give up that one last gift, God is preeminent. Why is God preeminent at the beginning and at the end? Because we're not living for here. We're living for the next life. We're living for that kingdom. And we get to enjoy the things of this earth in the process if we enjoy them in the right context. So what does this lead to? And that is kind of to touch on something we touched at the very beginning. And that is to embrace your creatureliness. To embrace your creatureliness. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us things? Romans eight thirty one and 32. The main question we, t- question we tackle these past few months is this. And this is the next uh, no, I just removed that, fill in the blank. How do I handle the things of the earth while concerning myself with the things of heaven? And I hope the answer we have come to is that we don't have to compromise one for the other. How do we live with the things of earth while enjoying the things? Well, how do we live? How do we handle the things of the earth while concerning ourselves with the things of heaven? Again, we don't have to compromise one for the other. We don't have to choose the passion or your joy with the passion of God's joy. If you are living rightly and understanding the world and our place rightly, then they will be the same thing. 
As Joe Rigney says, there is no separation between the giver and his gifts, for apart from him, there are no good things. This should help make God preeminent or central in all things. It should give us a category so that we don't slip into idolatry. It also means that we know that our gifts are on loan, that God has given us good things to manage. This is your next fill in the blank. So when we lose gifts, it is always for a purpose. When we lose gifts, it's always for a purpose. And that should give us confidence as we move forward in our story and the grand design of God's story. The point of this series is that you finally embrace your creatureliness. That's your next fill in the blank. That you finally embrace your creatureliness. In a world that is so concerned with the individual, where it is all about you, where you determine your identity, you determine your dreams, you determine what's right and wrong, you put up your Facebook or Instagram or Twitter profile, and you desire, desire it, design it. What a burden. The next fill in the blank is that culture demands that you be author. When the whole time you are meant to be creature... Culture demands that you be author when the whole time you were meant to be creature. Having to either A, change who you are to fit the people around you, or B, tell yourself that everyone else is messed up and you are the one that has it all together. When we play author, those are the two options. The fact is the culture is determined to have you define yourself when the whole time most of us are trying so hard to get up out of our own skin. If we were only like blank person, everything would be better. If I could only get my body to look like that. If I could only have the voice like that person. If I only had the personality of him or her. Culture demands that you be author when the whole time you are meant to be creature. So what does it mean to be creature? It means to be receiver. To receive the good gifts God has given you. To receive the relationship he freely offers you. You all know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes receives him will live everlasting life. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you do not receive? 1 Corinthians 3, 21 and 23. Whether Paul or Apollos or Caiaphas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ's is God. You're meant to be a receiver. I love how Joe Rigney puts it. Embrace your creatureliness. Don't seek to be God. Instead, embrace the glorious limitations and boundaries that God has placed on you as a character in his story. Embrace the fact that creation is a magic glass, the kind that allows you to see God more clearly and thicker, clearly, the thicker it becomes. Embrace time and space as glorious and wise features of creaturely existence. Embrace your body and your five senses and the wonders that they can perceive and receive in the world. Embrace your heart and your mind, your ability to think and feel, your understanding and your will, the amazing image of the triune God that he has embedded in your soul. Anchor yourself in a supreme, full, and expanding love for God. And then let your enjoyment of his gifts run wild. Thanks for listening to another Yak podcast. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit us at cccfrisco.org. Hope you join us again next week. Thanks for listening.